Hey, fans in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I will be at Dallas StripCon uh, August 4th. That, again, is Dallas StripCon. I will be signing and giving away all sorts of good uh, swag. So just come on by. I'll also be on a panel about podcasting. You know, Animation Aficionados at Dallas StripCon. Come see us. Hey, listeners. Animation Aficionados will be recording a Slayers episode in late August or early September. Between now and then, we want you to send us a recording of yourself doing the Naga laugh. The most outrageous laugh or laughs will be played on the show. Send an MP3 of yourself to neil at animationaficionados.com. <laughs> the Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Web Comic Beacon, a topical web comics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Last time on Animation Aficionados. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, Pablo, Neil, you got time for uh, Bleach? We can do Bleach. I won't have much to say about it because I just haven't watched it at all. You might hear me snoring in the background. No, I won't do that. I'll, I'll make uh, uh, snarky comments probably. Oh, that's 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 perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what we need, we need to do. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we're continuing our look through the Shonen Jump series with Bleach, all colors but black. Uh, of course, uh, this is your host Ben, joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. Believe it! Oh wait, that's the wrong show. Yes, and we're joined by Pablo Prino. Oiro, sabimaru! Bleach is a series about a guy named, uh, a teenager in high school named Ichigo Kurosawa. I don't know. I'm not Japanese. Yeah, it's a go Kurosaki who has orange hair and he has the power to see dead people. And uh, so he can see Bruce Willis. Yes, and he meets he meets a Shinigami, which is a death god or a Grim Reaper or it's 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 a Japanese yeah Japanese thing, where named uh, named named Rukia, who uh, who basically unlocks his hidden Shinigami powers where he defeats a Hollow. And uh, see, the idea of, of this is uh, is when someone dies, if they don't cross over, they become what's called a minus, which is a which is a soul with a chain on it. And as the chain dissolves, the the uh, soul you know gets a hole in his chest and becomes a hollow. And the thing with hollows is hollows are these things that eat human souls. Crossing over is John Edward involved in this in any way? No, no, there is no okay. there's no cold reading here. Okay, <laughs> and. Uh, and basically, Ichigo with a giant ass sword kills Hollows, and that's basically the premise. Uh, Pablo, take it away from here. Uh, since his Grim Reaper buddy Rukia uh, loses her powers by giving them to Ichigo to save his family, uh, she enrolls at his high school 
and starts uh, using him as, a, as his substitute Grim Reaper until uh, word comes out that she did something illegal, that is, having a human being Grim Reaper, Grim Reaper powers, and eventually is taken back to the Soul Society, which is something like, I don't know, the afterlife. It's never uh, clearly explained, but the thing is that she is taken there and will be executed. And Ichigo has to follow them into the afterlife in order to save his Green Reaper friend. And the basically, this is the Save Rukia Soul Society arc, where Ichigo goes with his with his friends like Orihime, which is a which is a busty redhead that's ditzy and naive as all hell, that has the power to summon up uh, familiar spirits from her from her hairpins to fight for her. You have. Uh, you have Chad, who is a Mexican with the power of uh, the devil of the, the devil of the right arm and the the I, I don't know. He has two arms. Left that, right arm of the of giants. Yeah, the, the the right arm of the giant, the left arm of the the devil, and uh, and all and uh, and then you have uh, Uriu, who who is a Quincy, who has the power to make uh, spirit arrows. They and condense they, spiritual energy into weapons. And in the in the so they go to the Soul Society to uh, basically uh, basically try to save Rukia, and uh, they come against the Shinigami captains and and the different uh, squads. And basically, the whole thing is this whole arc is trying to make you kind of like the Shinigami, but while at the same time making the the enemies. And and I had to say one thing: Tite did a really good job of doing that. Yeah, you never actually feel that Shinigami are evil themselves. Except for the uh, doctor. Except for the doctor, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's more like, oh yeah, you're cre- clearly crossing a line here that you shouldn't be crossing, and they're just doing their work. They, they never come off as, yeah, this bad guy we have to defeat, except for the doctor, yes. Yeah, and uh, lots of great fights here, and lots of hilarious moments. I remember one with... Uh... <laughs> I remember one where basically uh, Orihime decides that you know they can move. She's stuck with uh, with Uryu and, and because they all get separated in the Soul Society, and she decides the best way they can move around is by uh, beating up some Shinigami and stealing their clothes. And she's so mm-hmm. ditzy and naive, but she just she she beats the crap out of two Shinigami and steals their steals their clothes. <laughs> yeah, and they spend the rest of the art dressed like what? Yes, they do. Like that. <laughs> yes, they do, and. Uh, there's there's some other really great fights like uh, like there's uh, there's uh, the, the captain of the uh, is it the thirteenth squad Kenpachi? Yeah, who, I believe it's the thirteenth. Yes. Yeah, basically he's this the scarred guy who uh, who seems like he's he's legitimately crazy, but actually he's the only captain early on that really is on Ichigo's side. He just loves to fight, and. He, and the thing is this: all the other captains have all these special powers with their swords, called the uh, you know bankai. Basically, their sword can be released and it and turns into something that's really awesome and, and esoteric. But Kim, Kim Kaji doesn't have that; he just has a regular sword. He's just ridiculously tough. The way he levels up is hilarious, by the way, uh, because at one point in the story, we were all expecting all the characters to show their secret technique and. And Kempenchi suddenly has to. This is way later in in later story arcs, uh, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna do something I didn't want to do. And it's like, oh my god, he's going to release his sword, and then he starts using both arms, and that's when you realize all this time he had been fighting using just one arm, swinging around the sword, 
and he had never grabbed the sword with two arms in order to make a stronger stroke. And that was like, whoa. (laughs) There's something about Bleach um, when it comes to the fight scenes that is how incredibly original and bizarre most of the powers are. So it allows for the fight scenes to be something else entirely. There's something incredible with Kira's sword. Uh, It was Wabisuke or something like that. I can't remember. Its name was the repenting man. Yeah, basically, uh, basically, his sword makes anything he hits become like ten times heavier. So if he keeps on hitting someone, they get heavier and heavier. And the idea is, if he hits an enemy's sword, they get down on their knees, looking like they're repenting. And that's when you realize that this the shape of Kira's sword is actually a hook. That what can it do? It can decapitate someone who's kneeling. <laughs> and you only find out about that, you know, like years later. It was like, holy. You were thinking about this all this time? Uh, and that's partly because, uh, from what I've read, Tite Kubo, the author, is very designed and character-based when it comes to writing. So it, if he thinks of a concept or a design that's cool, he makes a story up around that and write. And what i got to say about Bleach is the first opening is brilliant. The first opening is, is just really out there and, and cute. There's something with Bleach and its openings that it, it's... Incredible diversity it has when it comes to opening scenes. Uh, it they make stuff that is really experimental or stuff that is cliche, and it moves from one side to the other, and it's all in the same world. It all tells uh, something from the series. I, one of my favorite ones, I don't remember which it was, but it, it was a lot of shots of you know just landscapes that were suddenly affected by something that you didn't get to see, like some leaves moving or clouds uh, moving up, stuff breaking and from invisible forces. And that's, uh, that's how Bleach would be uh, if we just see it from the human standpoint because humans don't get to see the, the spiritual stuff going around them. Yeah. But yeah, it's a... But the, one of the... Bleach also has uh, several great openings. Like they have one called... Uh, one where basically they have a bunch of girls, you know, they have they have Rukia Orihime and uh, Matsumoto like being in a girl band singing a song and that one was just awesome. <laughs> and they also had another they had another opening where uh, oh my god I remember one opening with the really bad English. Uh, tonight tonight tonight. Yes, you remember that one? Tonight Neil? love is racing. Tonight, tonight love <laughs> is racing. Tonight across the nation. Yeah, I showed that to Neil, and Neil's like, is that supposed to even be English? Right, Neil? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, Bleach has some great openings and some bad openings. And what I remember about the anime is basically there's a a character named Kon in in Bleach who's basically a soul pill. And basically when Ichigo's a a, a Shinigami, he needs the soul pill to inhabit his body so he's just not in a coma all the time. And uh, 
and Cohen is is like a major pervert. But Cohen is a what they did in in one arc after the Soul Society arc, they had this this filler arc where it's about all these other all these other soul pills that inhabit other dolls. Because when Cohen is in a ninja goes by, he's in a he's in like in a, a really stupid looking uh, lion plushy plush, <laughs> and and all these other all these other uh, uh, soul pills are in like these other ridiculously trashy looking plushies. <laughs> uh, that's the ending credit. That's the, I, I remember just doing that weird dance to creep a friend out. <laughs> <laughs> he thought, my pace. No, 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 no. But yeah, the openings are, the openings are great. The, the ending, the first bleach ending song is uh, life is a boat. It's yeah, it's not it's a, it, a boat, an actual boat that, that that floats. Not I'm not Canadian all of a sudden. <laughs> and uh, the amazing thing about life as a boat is uh, is the singer is uh, is singing in English, but she's a Japanese singer and she's singing in legible English. It, it, it's it's amazing because you're like, wow, this is this is legible English. This this sounds like sung by a native English speaker. I, I'm not I'm not kidding, Neil. Neil, have you heard ever heard this? No. We'll take a listen. Nobody knows who I really am. I never felt this empty before. And if I ever need someone to come along, who's gonna comfort me and keep me strong? We are a road. Yeah, it's a life is a life is a boat. Life is like a boat party. It's just great, and the the characters are really fun. You know, you can tell Tite is having a, just a ball because after the uh, after you know Rukia say it turns out that uh, one of the captains of the of the uh, Shinigamis is evil, Aizen, and he turns evil by taking off his glasses and smoothing his hair back. So he's Clark Kent turning into evil Superman. Yes. Because he, he, he because Tite did a really good job of like making him look all kind and sincere by having his his hair like messy and glasses, and then he looks evil by taking off his glasses and smoothing his hair back. <laughs> him him and, and he's such a bastard. <laughs> and him and two other Shinigami captains turned evil too. It's uh, the blind black guy and and the and the guy with the evil face who looked evil to begin with. It, what I loved was uh, is the blind black captain fought uh, Kenpachi and the blind black black captain had like a huge advantage because of his bank bankai just basically makes people blind and he can shoot like swords from the sky it's like oh how's Kenpachi gonna fight this now Kenpachi's like well when you stab me I'm not blind anymore because I can I can tell where you are so he lets the guy stab him and then he beats the shit out of him that's Kenpachi in a nutshell yeah <laughs> in anyways you know Aizen is evil they uh Save Rukia, and then they do the next arc uh, in the anime. That's the Bount arc, the Bount arc, and basically it's about Which is a real filler arc. We get it is the first filler arc, yes. But it's actually the filler arcs in in Bleach, uh, the arcs themselves do feel uh, uh, they're made in a way that it actually fits with the whole tone of the series. Well, it's doesn't like... doesn't Tight like give some feedback? Yeah, he he has some uh, input with the uh, character designs and some of the concepts, so that works really well. And for example, he did that with the with the Sampacto arcs, you know, the ones where the swords are released in human form, 
uh, he did the designs for that too. And, and back when it was this, back when they started doing the filler acts, they actually even worked it into other parts that weren't filler in order to make it fit. Like uh, when Ichigo is training with the visors, he sees a, a the bound leader show up among all the other foes he's fighting. So it sort of fits in. And also it allows for the animators to actually do stuff that is uh, genu genuinely taught for animation and does some neat, uh, neat new stuff. But it, partly this is because the, the world of Bleach is this has all this amount of mysticism and weird stuff going on and experimental stuff. Uh, which uh, works way better than it did with uh, Ronnie Kenshin when suddenly you had this final arc that killed the TV series uh, that involved Feng Shui and furniture burning up because they weren't aligned the right way. Uh, <laughs> I love that Kenshin arc. Fight, and Kenshin fighting off someone that just could create earthquakes using a seal. It was like, wait, this isn't Kenshin. Kenshin is more like a, a Sherlock Holmes story when it says, ah, this was a trick you did with this and that, but no, this the last arc in Kenshin actually said, oh, you're using basically Feng Shui. Like it's, the know, the uh, anime missile, the, the martial arts of interior decorating. Yeah, but, <laughs> pretty much. That. But here with Bleach, uh, we don't get that because we're already living in a very weird world and uh, filler arcs grow from that. What I do have to say it does is that it has some of the worst standalone filler episodes ever. For example, I remember an episode that involved three of fifth stringers, sixth stringer characters baking a cake. And that's a whole episode of people you but don't even they remember. Also had, they, also had the episode where they also had the episode where they're on the beach. Oh, but that's at least with the main characters. And, and, and all you, the women are in bikinis. So, yeah, but that's mandatory almost, besides. And then there was the perverted uh, perverted uh, tentacle watermelon they had to fight. Yeah, and still, that's more accurate and fit with the series than this episode about the seventh stringers baking a cake. I will repeat it. Okay, okay I, I, I got it. Baking I got, a cake. I got There's it. There's no issue. Episode. There's no Rukia in that episode. There's we no Rukia in that episode, but uh, we don't remember baking a cake. But anyways, uh, the Shinigami arc does expose Ichigo having a weird problem, where basically he has an inner hollow that keeps coming out. Basically, he gets a mask on his face and he's and he and he goes crazy sometimes. And the next arc is the Wizards arc, where basically other Shinigami who also have inner hollows show up and, and try to tra try to get Ichigo to be on their side. And this arc's kind of interesting because the the Wizards have really interesting designs and it's uh it's kind of fun. And then uh, and then all of a sudden you have uh you have uh, you have the Ar Arakanars show up, which are basically uh, hollows that have Shinigami powers now. And they have um, they they don't look like monsters anymore. They have human bodies and parts of their masks broken off. And you have you have such a Arakanars. I can't pronounce this. It's it's isn't this a Spanish word, Pablo? Arrancar. Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, yeah, all, all, tear all, off. All, the, all the hollow terms are Spanish. So I, I'm expecting a lot of help from Pablo. And the Bounty and Quincy ones are German. 
Yes. So, anyways, the uh, the Arakanars show up and they uh, they they they're trying to wreck some shit. And what I love is is just uh, is there's there's one who's actually named Jabberjaw. Yeah, Reem Joe Jabberjaw. Yeah. <laughs> and he does not sound like Curly Neil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and all the all the Arakanars, you know, have have swords. They're sort of like half Shinigami, half uh, Hollow as well. In the main hour Connors, there's ten of them because, as as everyone knows, there's always ten of these guys. Whenever there's a bad guys and there's a, like a ranking system, there's always ten of them. That that's that's just a shonen jump trope now, and uh, <laughs> and basically they kidnapped Orihime and or and so they had to go into Hiosamondo or I can't pronounce it Pablo. Hueco Mundo. Okay. It means empty world. Okay, see, uh, Pablo, it's good to have you here. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> anyways, they have to go there, and when they first show up, they meet they meet a Arakanar girl named Nell, who who's like a little child that that's very childish and and helps them, so they keep her around. Uh, Nell too, and and basically, th- this is a funny arc because of Nell. Nell is just the comedy that that just cuts through all the bullshit here. And, they, and that's what happens until we get the extremely filler arc. <laughs> yeah, they put a filler arc in the middle of a rescue arc. I don't know how they did that. At least the characters actually uh, did some meta commentary on that. So now we're back to school because we, you know, we got a feeling until the the manga catches up as well. It's like, what? No, we, we were about to rescue Orihime. Yeah, yeah. In a second. Wait a minute. Well, what then... I loved was actually when they had they when at the beginning of this arc they had they had the Shinigami show up at Ichigo School dressed up as as school children, including Matsumoto, which didn't work out because Matsumoto <laughs> is an adult woman with huge gigantic breasts. So basically, she has a she has a shirt that she doesn't even button up. <laughs> and there was and one of Ichigo's friends is a pervert. And he immediately jumps at her trying to like grope her, and she just hits him like without even looking at him. She's used to that by now. Yeah. I mean, she she's hundreds of years old and has always carried such a uh, figure that he, she probably does it like an arc reflex or something. Yes, he does, actually. Remember, he jumps at her from behind and she just like does the Batman thing. <laughs> and he grabs him up and says, Swear to me! <laughs> no, she just does the, the backhand without looking. Yeah. So it's Burton's Batman. Anyways, it's just it's just really funny because uh, you know you know like you said they had the filler arc in the middle of the of the rescue arc, and and then they have they have basically what they love to do is have the heroes fight against types, like uh, like Chad fought against a uh, a uh, an Arakanar that also has punching power, and this is when he unlocked the right arm of the devil, and he made a punch that turned that turned the wall into a skull shape. Because it's the la muerte, the death. Okay, so what, what's the name of the what's the name of the arms? I, I want uh, I want the true Spanish names recorded for posterity. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, uh, I don't remember which was the right and which was the left, but it was uh, I think brazo derecho del gigante, uh, right arm of the giant, and uh, brazo izquierdo del diablo. Le, left arm of the devil yes i'm not sure if i got the right uh, sides the left or right arms well but so it's not important anyways uh, (laughs) anyways 
you know, you have you have all these different fights, and all, every single fight is just is just ridiculously ridiculous. Like you had, uh, you know, you, you had this fight where uh, where there's this there's this Arcanar that's like a misogynist asshole with a with a, with an eye patch and and a sickle sword, and basically everyone that tries to fight him gets beaten up until you have the little girl Nell. Watching Ichigo get beat up, and then all of a sudden she turns big, mm-hmm. big and centaurish, and she beats the the shit out of out of out of this guy until all of a sudden you know she didn't know that she was like Ultraman and had a five minute power uh, power limit, <laughs> and then and then you had Kimpachi fight the guy with the eye patch, and Kimpachi has an eye patch too. <laughs> you had you had the evil Arakanar doctor fight the evil Shinigami doctor. Yeah, I'm I'm really not a fan of the evil Arankar doctor for many reasons. Yeah, basically the evil Arakanar doctor. His his secret ability is basically he impregnates his enemy with himself. Yeah, because his release form is called Fornicaras, which, <laughs> which means, means the fornic- you will fuck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, not yeah. fond of that guy. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I said, the one thing that the bleach the the that Teat loves is having them fight types, and basically then you have the the arc come to the point where where Ison fused himself with a ball that can like blend the re- the walls of reality of Shinigami and uh, and Hollow Power. So Ison basically does the whole Kefka slash Sephiroth bullshit thing where basically he's like, well, I am the most powerful now. And then someone beats him up and he's like, no, now this is my final form. Uh, yeah, but then uh, comes something that was pretty smart, actually, uh, which is that when when the main character shows up again after leveling up in gruesome ways, uh, Ison still believes he's the, the shit. And keeps going. Oh yeah, my power just blew up that mountain. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, so we're skipping. We're skipping the, one of the most awesome scenes ever is when all the other Shinigami pi- captains are trying to fight Ison and they're failing. And then guess who shows up and like thrashes Ison for a good five minutes? Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Ichigo's dad shows up. Yeah. Right. I... Basically, basically, so... for the whole story, Ichigo's dad is like this spuddy duddy idiot guy that like dotes on his daughters and and you're not supposed to take him seriously and then he shows up in shinigami garb beating the shit out of this bad guy that no one else could touch uh and then eventually grabs uh, ichigo and does the gruesome training stuff yeah and then ichigo shows up and and what i love is Ison is so powerful now he just makes people explode by walking by he's just killing them with his awesome yeah and that's what he thought he was because when you know, Ichigo just shows up and he's, oh, I'm making mountains explode just by breathing the same air as them. And and then that's when, twist, that was actually Ichigo. <laughs> Ichigo had leveled up beyond him. And, and, and actually he what he did was he actually grabbed Dyson by the face and threw him, like, outside the city so they wouldn't wreck the city. Yeah. And Dyson, Dyson just, and Dyson went through, like, three more final forms during this point. Yeah, he be- and he ended up in his final form, which is the one he will last forever. The one-winged angel. Oh, oh, oh. 
<laughs> I'm not kidding, Neil. I'm not kidding. Eisen had more final forms than Sephiroth or Kefka. <laughs> Combined. Uh, and the thing is that he ends up a vegetable quite yeah. literally. I yeah, basically, basically Ichigo's goes like, I have this one final attack that takes away all my powers, but that's because it is so badass it will defeat you. And then it defeats us, uh, and Ison's like, oh, shit, okay, I'm, I'm beaten now. <laughs> and becomes a plant. Yes, and he gets he gets he gets wrapped in bandages and thrown into a hole. And, uh, and that's pretty much uh, when I stopped watching, I believe. Oh, that's good because the next arc, the uh, the uh, I'm, I don't I don't even want to talk about things. The next arc is shit. It's this the the the, the, the manga actually went downhill. Too at the same time as the anime, it's it's not fun anymore. It feels like oh, what's happening now? Because the whole big thing is Ison was the big bad, and once you get back get rid of the first big bad, it's hard to justify going to the next big bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you can pull a Dragon Ball Z here and say oh, and there was an even bigger there was guy, an even bigger guy. That there he... was a legend about someone who was even more badass than this last guy we faced up. We never thought of mentioning that. Yeah, you you can't do that. I mean, Dragon Ball barely got away with that. Well, and it's like, also a, sort of a trope by then. It's yeah. like, oh really? And then ah, I'm back. And I'm going to be. Oh, you just kill him with one move. Yeah. Yeah. But someone even other is coming. <laughs> but we have to be sad about the departure of Bleach as an anime because that means what again, Neil? Uh, and Pablo, what what replaced Bleach again? Uh, Rock Lee's Adventures. Bullshit! Uh, I'll, I'll uh, let that Pablo explain. An to Neil what, pa- Pablo, explain what to, to Neil what what Rockley's adventures is because I want to hear Neil's bullshit to this. I really don't. I, I never care to actually look into it because you know I, I'm really not a fan of Naruto. It's but an Naruto spinoff about this character. Named it's an Naruto spinoff about the the character in Naruto that's uh, Bruce Lee knockoff, only done in super deformed style. Ah. Uh. And that's what we get instead of Bleach by now. So it's sort of like Bleach was our Simpsons. Uh, it was the only yeah. thing holding back the 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 other shit. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much what happened. But you got that's you got to admire Tight because Tight knew what we liked. Tight knew we liked fun battles. Tight knew we liked comedy. Tight knew we liked big breasts. <laughs> a man's man. A manly man. <laughs> The chivalry, I can feel it. <laughs> uh, you you can tell he was having fun, but then from time to time when he had to, you know, try to straighten up his act from time, because he he had so many storylines going at the same time that some of them didn't get the attention that they deserved. Up to up till the moment that I I was still watching, I was still hoping for Renji to level up somehow, because our Renji deserved to do better. Than what he ended up doing, as far as I got to see, at least, uh, because uh, Bleach for me was uh, is still some sort of right I have with a friend of mine that's working on a cruise. So every time she steps back on land, we get together and we watch Bleach, and I stay away from it while it's while she's gone. And so it took us quite a while to reach the the end of the Ice Saga. Yeah. So. Uh... So let's just wrap up the Bleach special right now. There really isn't much more we can say other than like doing a complete step-by-step walkthrough, which is not what we're going to do. Um, 
Bleach, I would recommend the the Shinigami arc, uh, the uh, the Arakanar arc is pretty okay too. But anything after that, anime or manga, I would not recommend, except for the filler episode where they go to the beach. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that would be a, a fan of. Uh, That's awesome. I, I'd recommend I'd recommend the series up to the end of the Eisen Saga, skipping the filler arcs. But if you do feel like you need more, then do watch the filler arcs. Uh, it's a it's a series that has to grow up on you because uh, it starts really small and then goes very epic. Starting with the Soul Society saga, it's it's nonstop from there. Yep. So uh, the, so that's our recommendation. Neil, you need to watch some of it when you get a chance to. But uh, this is yours, Ben. With TV's Mr. Neil and Pablo Perino. And we're saying good night. Night. I am TFG1 Mike, and you should be listening to my very first podcast, the TFG1 Podcast. 24 episodes covering the entire U.S. run of the 1984 Transformers cartoon. I also have a few supplemental episodes and an interview with Stan Bush. I bring in guest hosts who will be full-time co-hosts in Steve Megatron and fan of the show now co-host Pecan Court Michael. So check out the TFG1 Podcast. You can find it on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Transform and roll out. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on geekcastradio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right, and we pay again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right, and we... Okay, seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's What's on Joe Mind, every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about Transformers, can I? Good No. What about sports? Uh, that sounds yeah, good. Yeah, that's alright. Neil sent me pictures of Yorichi saying this is a show post image. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I knew I of the costume from from before, and I was like, "Well, I'm going to find whatever episode that's from, or whatever series of episodes. I'm going to find a clear picture of it. And I'm going to send it to Ben." <laughs> so Neil's a Yorichi fan now. Yorichi is a very pleasant surprise in Bleach. Yeah, you start out with this cat that sounds like an old man, and then suddenly, <laughs> hot chick. And, gotcha. she still, and she still talks like an old man. It's a polar opposite of a trap. <laughs> it's like, it's not a trap. It's a surprise party. <laughs> wow. I got to read more of the of this Magic Chicks comic. Yeah. <laughs> Just flex and then all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know what she's so upset about. Like she, She's more awesome because of that. <laughs> Magic Chicks? What's that? It's it's a it's a comic by Giselle Lagasse. Yeah. 
is she's she's writing it now. It's a different artist is doing it now, but it's an artist that duplicates her style quite well. Let's see if my Firefox, which is, has been an ass lately, allows me to see it. And I know everyone would say that I should go with Chrome from now on or something, but Chrome is the man, man. Oh, look at the name of the artist, Cassandra. So it's another girl who likes to draw hot chicks. <laughs> Score? Score. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always said that ever since I got into talking with, with webcomic artists, that the most perverted webcomic artists I've ever met were women. Yeah, I, I've seen this from time to time, because you you guys had mentioned it. I, I just keep forgetting about it. I don't know why. Well, you were probably mentioning the other comics, because they all look so alike. <laughs> it's like they're drawn by the same art. That, wait. Yeah. Well, this one isn't. Well, it was. Well, I told Neil about the Soifong uh, Yorichi uh, Yuri stuff, and Neil's like, what, really? <laughs> and I said, there's some video clips, too. Mm-hmm. There is. There is. Not very subtle, either. No, they're not. Because, <laughs> you know, most of them have it very subtle. As, oh, it, it, she just respects her. <laughs> but, no, it, it, this takes it far beyond that. Am I right? I mean, that that's I, like the that's like the girl in uh, Azumanga Dayo, practically. I respect Megan Fox. Actually, there was, there was a... Uh, there was another girl in in Bleach who's also a raving lesbian. She's she's the red haired girl in the normal world. Ah, the one that wants to get it on with Orihime all the time. Yes, Shizuro. I don't remember her name. But yeah, I just call her a raving, raging lesbian girl. Yeah, there's there's lots of lesbians in Bleach. Excellent. <laughs> and take now, that DC Comics. And now Neil is quickly pulling up every episode he can find. <laughs> Uh, are there any bad? Uh, are there any bad uh, scenes? Oh god! There's a that... ton. Yes. Neil, I know you're not a comic book reader. I know you like comic books. The concept of comic books. You love the concept of comic books. You love the characters. Yeah. And you and you love Al Rio, but uh, and uh, but the, the confusing plot points, the the story segments, the blah 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 blah. That turns you off as a reader. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, but is it fair to say that you like the character of Spider-Man Peter Parker as a character? Oh yeah, I've always I've always liked Spider-Man and Peter Parker going all the way back to being a kid. I mean, one of the first one of the first characters I ever really liked was Spider-Man. Yeah, that's why I've always said that to 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 DC's Batman, Marvel has Spider-Man as the gateway drug. Yeah, and, and Spider-Man is... is is the young is the young hero that like everyone can relate to. He's He's kind of uh, immature and makes a lot of uh, quips, but he's he's a likable guy. Exactly, and it's a little, little very short history of the creator of Spider-Man, uh, Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko was a libertarian that in in a room surrounded by liberals back back in the Marvel bullpen. It's uh, there's a there's a reason why he doesn't like being interviewed and he's very standoffish with interviewers and fans. He he's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong, he's a nice guy, but I, I understand his point of view, I should say. It's uh because you know, for for years people forgot about the Steve Ditko part of the equation and, and went immediately to Stan Lee and 
And I've talked to people who worked with Stanley and Steve Ditko. I've talked to people who were in the room who who worked on those comics. I've talked to people who worked on Spider-Man back then. And I believe them when people say Stan Lee's contribution was minimal at best. Uh, Ditko. Ditko is a libertarian. Not only just a libertarian, he's also an objectivist. An Ayn Rand reader. Everybody who ever worked with Steve always knows that they, that Steve constantly pushed Atlas Shrugged on their reading list. <laughs> and you know what? I respect some things about the objectivism uh, philosophy, but I even experimented with the objectivism mindset, but I'm not an objectivist. I, I made that I made that decision a long time ago that no, there there really is more than just two answers. Yeah. The the thing about objectivism is that I think that there could be hard answers for stuff, but it seems like people who call themselves objectivists aren't very good at, at figuring out what they are. So it's like what's the point? Yeah, it's 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 always it's always the example is an extreme so the answer is an extreme when if you apply objectivism where it should be applied to normal moral quandaries, it actually works out far better. But but, you know, like I said, extremists work with extremes and uh, the, the concept of Spider-Man has a lot of things riding in there, like uh, the idea of if you have if you have uh, the power to stop something, you have the moral responsibility to stop something. It's that that that's essentially down to it. It's a, yeah. it's a you know with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And, and I think the way a lot of people kind of reinterpret that is that uh, if you have great power, you have the responsibility to use it responsibly, or something like that, where it's not quite as hard edge as what Ditko is going for. Yeah, which I think I prefer personally. Well, to the movie, to the Amazing Spider-Man movie that just came out, they messed a lot of things up. It's a, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. I love the Raimi films. I don't worship them because there are flaws in them, like any film. Every film has a flaw. There is right. no perfect film. But Raimi got the character. Raimi knew how to shoot a fun film, and Raimi knew where the practical effect was practical to use, and he he made it work. He made Spider-Man its own thing. He made Spider-Man uh, lighthearted at times, emotional when it needed to be. And it worked. This one, this is a mess. Um, first of all, they were they're back in high school again, and and one of the things that that really stunned me is is they de-emphasized the relationship Peter Parker had with Uncle Ben mm-hmm. by emphasizing stronger the relationship of Peter Parker with his absentee now dead father Richard Parker, which I think is wrong personally. It's uh, Neil. What were your thoughts on on that? Um. Well, see, Spider-Man, you never really heard about Peter Parker's father, at least as far as the most readers are concerned, I suppose, just because the the emphasis was always put on Uncle Ben and Aunt May, and Uncle Ben being the uh, the uh, the impetus, or if that's the right word, for the the inspiration for, for Peter Parker to become a hero. And, uh, you know, it, the, the thing, the father, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thread to explore at some point, but it's not important for the the uh, the origin story of, P- of Spider-Man. It's just it it never came up before. I don't know why they're going to it now. Because they wonder about Batman Begins. Uh, okay, and uh, the, the, there's more, Neil. There's more. Um, 
the spider that beat, bit Peter Parker to give him spider powers, it wasn't a it wasn't a one specific special uh, genetically engineered or blah 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 spider. What it is is it turns out that Richard Parker, right before he abandoned Peter to uh, stop Norman Osborn, we think from doing something maybe, mm-hmm. um, he genetically engineered like a colony of spiders and there's this room in oscorp that just spin web all day there's just this room that anyone can walk into with all these spiders spinning web all day and this web is and you know what if if the if they actually had a scientific consultant that knew shit Mm -hmm. these webs would be spinning to make a new type of kevlar yeah i was gonna say but no it's for aircraft towing cables neil Oh, I mean, I guess, yeah, that's a good application, but, you know, there's so, when you're, when you're working with something like that, you, you should go for as many applications as possible, therefore, you know, you can get the most bang for your buck. And, well, like I said, the, the actual patent for Kevlar is based off of spider silk, so. Yeah. Just, just a science nerd me talking, and, uh. Well, I think anyone who's turned on the science channel, or even that, even that, superhero biography special that they had a few years ago would know something about that but but anyways anyways what happens is is peter just sneaks into the in oscorp because he found out that uh, that kurt carners might have known his you know worked with his father back then might know something so he he sneaks into the into the office sneaks into a back room sneaks into the spider room and a spider lands on him and bites him and that just that, that makes me go hmm so a janitor could, could have walked in and got spider powers for all we know. <laughs> Yanni the janitor. <laughs> so so there, there's that, and, and that that's plenty stupid. And uh, it's uh, it really is plenty stupid. I, I must say they they made Peter Parker a skater punk. Oh jeez, no. He, he has he carries around a skateboard and likes to flip tricks and stuff. And I know, I know. And uh, and wow, it, it's just it, it's a confusing movie because after he gets his fire powers, when he wakes up, first off, did you ever see X Men Origins Wolverine? No. Okay, you are so lucky, by the way. Uh, there, there was a scene after Wolverine gets his metal claws that he's stuck in the bathroom and he's just chopping everything up instantly, and it's supposed to be done for laughs. Okay. There's about 15 minutes of this movie where Peter Parker, after waking up with spider powers, is wrecking everything for laughs. In fact, right after he got bit by the spider at Oscorp, he is riding on a bus. He falls asleep in, in a New York bus and isn't somehow, you know, stripped naked and raped. I don't know how, but... <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and some guy, as a joke, balances a, a, a bottle of beer on Peter's head while he's sleeping... Spider Sense makes him wake up, and he starts wrecking everybody's shit and beating them up. Innocent civilians in the train, just because his Spire Sense works that way. I see. I know. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, so... So, Peter's going out at night, just being a... Uh, bit of a jerk, really. You know, he's just going out at night with his spider powers, you know, doing teen angst stuff. And finally, he shows up late. You know, he... At home, and and by the way, Martin Sheen and and, and Sally Fields totally miscast for this. Mm-hmm. 
Martin Sheen, personally, I'm going to say what I think is what, what's wrong with the way he plays Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben is 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 a character who has a bit of uh, of that old old bygone era uh, common sense knowledge that that people had back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he, he's the kind of guy that worked at one place all his life, was faithful to his family and kids and all that. And then and and, and here you have Martin Sheen playing the character. Martin Sheen plays the character how he thinks that kind of person is. He plays Uncle Ben like a moron. <laughs> you can you can tell by the way that Martin Sheen plays Uncle Ben. He has contempt for the type of character it is. I see. Yes, it, it it's absolutely terrible. And and Sally Fields, fabulous actress, but for for as much as she did, they she was just a warm body on the set. She really is. She did nothing to the character. She didn't do give any life lessons to Peter Parker. She or moral or moral support. There, there, you know, there was none of that. Oh, that awful Spider-Man. There was just nothing. She was just there to fill in some space on the set. <laughs> I, I don't know body. what kind of Aunt May I would have wanted, but that wasn't it. You know, if, if she had any kind of emotion at all, it'd been nice. And, and let me tell you about how Uncle Ben died. Hmm. Let me tell you about how Peter Parker learns, you, you know, decides to become Spider-Man from Uncle Ben's death. There is no wrestling subplot. There, there's none of that. There's no Bonesaw? There is no Bonesaw. Bonesaw was not ready. <laughs> Bonesaw it, was on the ground. Anyways, you know, there was many different ways they could have updated this, added some element of Peter Parker trying to find fame. Mm -hmm. there, there's many different things they could have done. I don't know what the right answer is. All I know is that this was the wrong answer. And I say that with a certain certainness that I can't, I, I can't uh, just, you know, in, in my heart of hearts, I know that they did this wrong. So basically, Peter shows up in the middle of the night after goofing around with spider powers again. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, basically, Uncle Ben's trying to give him a, a lesson. And no, there are no words with great power come get responsibility, Neil. Basically... Finally, Peter says to him, you're not my father, so don't treat me like I'm your son, walks off, and Uncle Ben decides, okay, I'm going to just go out and follow you in the middle of the night in New York City. And Peter goes into a convenience store, you know, like a shitty little 7-Eleven or something, and wants to buy a chocolate milk. You know, I don't know if it was a Yoohoo or not. I, I, I don't know, but it was definitely a chocolate milk. And he was two cents short. He was two cents short, Neil. And... <laughs> And so he wanted to use the give a t penny, take a penny. But the clerk says, well, you have to you have to have a $10 minimum to use the give a t penny, take a penny. And so Peter Parker's walking away all upset without his chocolate milk. And that's when the killer shows up. The killer knocks over a display stand. And while the clerk bends over to pick it up, he grabs about 80 bucks of loose bills in the cash register and tosses Peter the chocolate milk and runs out the store. Okay. And it, and so he's running. So the killer is running down the street with like eighty bucks, a, a six pack in one hand, and a gun in the other. And Uncle Ben, with just his sense of moral indignant at the act, decides he'll stop this young man with a gun. Oh jeez. And he lost. Way to overthink it. <laughs> and, and 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 so. <laughs> 
basically now uh, now Peter Parker is going out at night looking for the killer who has a certain type of star tattoo on his wrist. So he's like finding like people you know criminals on the street beating them up looking to see if they have a star tattoo on the wrist oh they don't he leaves them alone so he's going through all these people doing that over and over again <laughs> and, and so so his quest to becoming a uh, a superhero isn't the you know you know isn't because of the responsibility it's no he's out for vengeance hmm. he's out for vengeance Neil wasn't it even even handled in the original Spider-Man story that that he wasn't he wasn't re- he didn't realize that it was the same guy who killed Uncle Ben or that's the same right guy, the same guy who who he could have stopped yeah until until he actually caught him and then yes then then at that moment he it like overcame him like oh no if I had stopped this guy in the first place yes yeah so. We yes. didn't miss the point. Yeah, the whole point is the whole point is Peter finds the guy and then realizes that that even vengeance would not bring him any any uh any salvation from that situation hang on a second i got a phone call okay just my sister okay okay Okay, so like i said the whole idea is is vengeance is 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 a reaction that's very brief in in the birth of spider-man because he's supposed to find out really quickly that that no no amount of vengeance would would bring back his uncle or or undo his mistake. Mm-hmm. And 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 by the way, he the killer is never found. Yeah. In in, in the movie, they, 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 Peter Parker never finds the killer. It, it's it's a loose end. It, it's because he uh-huh. soon forgets entirely about the killer when Kurt Connors. And by the way, what happens with the whole Kurt Connor subplot is Peter Parker finds his un- his his father's lost uh, yeah, book of notes on how to do uh, how to do genealogical uh, splicing to combine the the DNA of different species, and he finds this equation. He gives it to Kurt Connors, and Kurt Connors uses it to regrow his lost arm and become the lizard. But the, the whole the whole plot of the lizard is stupid because what happens is is uh norman osborne's never in this movie he has a vaguely uh vaguely foreign uh, assistant that is the main bad guy kind of and what happens is is they have the uh they have the, the damn uh the the formula working on on rodents and it works great on rodents and the the vaguely foreign aid says well let's just take this down to a vd hospital and test it out and we'll just say it's a flu shot and so it, it's turning it, it's trying to make the uh, the vaguely foreign assistant out to be the bad guy kirk connors yeah. tries the serum on himself first grows back his arm and he realizes oh wait i'm changing and so he, he rushes into a new york cab and says get me to the vd hospital quickly so you get the idea that you know from this he's he wants to stop the evil vaguely foreign assistant, and he's going to be some sort of anti-hero foil to Spider-Man from this setup. It, it, that's the that's what you, that's the idea that you're getting just from this setup. Am I right? Yeah. Well, it turns out that the that the uh, writers aren't following that train of thought because as soon as he turns to the lizard for the first time, he doesn't care about that anymore. He wants to just make everyone the lizard people. Okay. So it's like Chud. It's exactly like the Chuds. Oh my God! 
he he has a laboratory in the middle of a sewer in New York. Ah, oh, jeez. And another thing that, that bugged me, there was there was a scene of all these lizards walking in the sewer where Peter gets the idea, oh, the lizard's in the sewer because of all these, like, green lizards, you know, walking on a sidewalk, going into, the su- into like, a drainage hole. And I'm like, I've never been to New York, but I bet you there's not that many lizards walking around. <laughs> I, I just bet you that. I, I, I bet that, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. So so, anyways, anyways, you, you have well, this. There, there are four turtles that living that are living down there, but and a giant rat, but yes, uh... <laughs> but no fifth turtle. No, never a fifth turtle. <laughs> that never happened. Never will. So you have this scene where, oh god. So after, so when the lizard has his first rampage on the bridge, trying to uh, attack. Norman Osborne's vaguely foreign assistant, and yes, that's what I'm calling him—the vaguely foreign assistant. Really, what was he? Indian or something? I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyways, he he uh, throws off a a minivan, and you have this shot of Peter Parker like uh, as Spider-Man for the first time. He not hunting down some guy with long hair that might be a criminal. He basically is webbing up all these. Uh, all these cars that the lizard's throwing off the bridge, hanging on the side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, one of these cars is a little too heavy. And it's about to fall off, which means that all the cars are about to fall off because cars don't really weigh that much in comparison of each other. And if the tensile strength of the web is blah, 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 then just saying, mm-hmm. just saying. <laughs> I know people are going to say I'm overthinking, but I'm actually not. I'm just thinking. People have to think, or else they they're dead. <laughs> so so Peter Parker, Spider Man, is saving this little boy stuck in this in this car, and he saves the little boy, and the little boy's father is like, "Oh, thank you, Spider Man, thank you." And and you have in it's no it's an okay scene, but it leads up to a much 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 stupider scene later on. <laughs> I I think the Phil Pigs alluded to this scene. I think you know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll I'll, let list, I'll tell our listeners about it too. So, and by the way, another thing I hate is is the the web shooters have muzzle flare. Uh, they they light up bright red when he shoots webs. Like it's it, it's stupid. It, it really is stupid. It's really dumb for real. There's so he so now there's like a, a manhunt of uh, of, of Spider Man. And and that's that's when Peter Parker shows up at Gwen Stacy's place, and she's kind of blah. The character is blah. The character always was blah, honestly. And the actress is kind of blah, and the way she plays the part is very blah. And and the Stacy family household is very blah. So you, you have you have the father playing this hard nosed cop, you know, who, who's like the commissioner or something or captain. Or, he he orders everyone around, so he's supposed to be pretty damn important, but they never really established that he was the commissioner or anything. Mm-hmm. So you have this scene where Peter's having having dinner with them, and <sighs> and, and bas- basically Parker's trying to say, well, maybe Spider-Man's trying to help, sir. And and uh, and you have this ridiculous scene where where. Because this was right after Spider-Man does stops the carjacker in the infamous online scene that I think you've seen, Neil. Yeah. 
It's a terrible scene, by the way. I'm I'm just gonna touch this 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 stupid carjacking scene because it's so overacted, so badly, and and it's not even P- Peter Parker Spider Man making quips and and you know, like no he he's torturing this man. He is physically torturing this carjacker because this carjacker might have been the guy who killed his uncle. Hmm. That doesn't it, sound like Spidey that I know. But you saw the scene. Yeah. You know, where, where basically he, he, he's just he's just being an asshole to the guy. And it gets worse because so so basically Peter Parker's saying, Well maybe he's just trying to help, sir. And Captain Stacy says, Well, maybe we were gonna follow the carjacker to the place where he to his chop shop and shut down the whole operation. Which which if you know anything about crime statistics, the number of cars that are uh, stolen, and the fact that Spider-Man was out in the street like torturing this guy for a good five minutes before the cops showed up, the idea that they were going to tr- tail this guy and find out where his base of operations, that, you know, you know Captain Stacy was either talking of his ass or just trying to save face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, really. It's, because if you know anything about the statistics of stolen cars, you know, if your car's stolen... Statistically, Neil, what's the odds of you seeing your car again? Um, actually, I don't know. Well, let's just say, just let's just say, go to the insurance company, get a new car. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, so, so this whole idea that that the captain says, says, well, we had this whole sting thing going on, him trying to save face. It was stupid. It, it was stupid chest puffing and, and, and you know chest pounding bullshit. And then you know right after that, and you know Peter's up on the balcony with Gwen. He reveals he's Spider Man. They suck face for a little bit, and then he jumps off the building to go because he's needed. It's it, it's ridiculous. And every time he shows up, he shows up at Aunt May's house. He has bruises and stuff, and she's just like, "Well, where have you been?" And he doesn't tell her anything. He just goes to his room, <laughs> and they don't really resolve anything about that. Just a terrible, terrible way to handle Spider-Man. I think. I mean, yeah. Do something with the Aunt May character. You, know, you cast Allie Phil, and you just have her like. You, you could you could have cast like a piece of cardboard, and it just it just had tape record behind it that just kept on repeating, "Where have you been?" And that that that's what Sally Phil did. Really, it it, it was it was stupid. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was it was stupid. <laughs> so, so finally there's this there's this scene where, where spider-man you know where the lizard's like well i'm you know i want to make a world without weakness so i'm gonna you know i have this biological weapon that that's this gas that turns people to lizards as well so he, he's heading to the oscorp tower tower where he's going to unleash a giant uh uh, air dispersion uh, chemical weapon to turn all of Manhattan into lizards, and 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 basically Gwen Stacy is, goes to Obscorp Tower to make the antidote because you know not only is she is she in Peter's science class you know she's also able to make an antidote to a mutagen that she never worked on. Wow! So so there she is. She's making the antidote and. <laughs> And Peter Parker, he he meets up with Captain Stacy again, where he's briefly captured before he beats up all the cops, reveals himself to Captain Stacy, and Captain Stacy's like, okay, go. He gets injured, and he can't quite swing to Oscorp Tower fast enough. Hmm. He needs help. 
And that that's when, you know, there's a citywide evacuation because of the biological weapon attack. People are turning into lizard people on the streets. Mm-hmm. Green gas everywhere. It, it's it, and and guess guess who sticks around just helps Spidey get to Oscorp Tower. The uh, father of the yeah. kid that, yeah. that he rescued from the fucking minivan turns out to be a foreman of of those cranes that work in New York. And he calls all these guys that work on other cranes, you know, right down like a row of streets to like line up their cranes a certain way so Spider Man has a clear clear angle to web swing to the tower. This makes the often criticized bus train scene for Spider-Man 2 look down downright not not just makes make elevates it from noblized New York to downright realistic New York. So he arranged it so a bunch of cranes could all line up. How many cranes did he have? Like eight. So maybe a block or <laughs> This very short distance is gonna be really convenient for you, Spider-Man. Well, it, it it it's a large boom cranes in New York, to be to be fair. Okay, but uh, like like I said, so a bunch of construction workers would stick around during a a full wide city evacuation during a chemical biological weapon attack to help Spidey because one of their foremans, one of them says we're sticking around. Mm-hmm. Neil. I'm processing this. <laughs> this is absurd. <laughs> I sat through this. I sat through this deal. Mm. It gets worse. So, so Spider-Man shows up at the tower, gets the antidote from St- Gwen Stacy, and the lizard's about to shoot off the weapon. Spider-Man can't get to the weapon in time to change it out because he's fighting the lizard when Captain... Stacy shows up with a shotgun. And, mm. and by the way, I'm, I'm just going to say this right now. You know he's doomed when he shows up with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Because not only is the lizard super strong and powerful and has a tail. No, he it has it, he has regeneration that makes Wolverine look like a <laughs> look like a geriatric actor. I mean, there, there's a scene where, where where they're spraying liquid nitrogen on the lizard, and Captain Stacy is like shooting fucking holes with in him with buckshot, fucking buckshot, shooting his arms and legs off with fucking buckshot. And as soon as the liquid nitrogen's gone, he starts healing up immediately, and his arms and limbs are back. That's ridiculous. Did did the uh, did the lizard take a swipe at the wall at any point? Actually, yes. Oh my god! But any, anyways, you know, right after that, and and the liquid nitrogen is gone. You know, Captain Stacy has it. Well, it, it because Captain Stacy says to Spider Man, "Look, I got this. I got this covered. You go and take care of that." It, it, it you know, as soon as those words leave his mouth, yeah, he's fucking doomed. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know it. Yep. And, and so yeah, he gets a lizard claw through the chest. Spider-Man switches out the lizard-making formula in the biological cloud dispersal weapon with the with the cure. The cure goes off. Everyone in New York is cured. And 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 the lizard, as he's turning back to her corner, saves Spider-Man's life as he falls off the building to show, oh wait, no, he really wasn't evil all along. Wow. And and as Captain Stacy dies, he says the Peter Parker he says, Peter, swear to me, don't get Gwen involved in this, please. 
And, you know, there's like a two minute scene where he where Peter's keeping his distance from Gwen. And then he decides, oh, fuck it. Who needs to keep promises? <laughs> especially, especially dying wishes. Yeah. To someone who saved your ass. What do those mean? Oh, but I'm just thinking at the point that that Connor's got the claw through the chest. Did, did Spider-Man go? No. He, he didn't even see it. He he oh, was okay. too busy messing with the chemical weapons. Okay, so they avoided that trope. Yeah. Okay. What do you think of that movie just from hearing that? That sounds like a load of horse shit. <laughs> there were there were claps. People were clapping <sighs> in my theater. God, what is wrong with you, America? I was watching this, and so I'm like, this doesn't understand Spider-Man at all. I'm secretly hoping, and I know this is wrong because I know that it's on its way to succeeding, but I was hoping that it would fail, and then, like, two summers from now, they'll just inexplicably have Spider-Man back. Yeah, Spider-Man 4, no explanation, just be like, oh, that last movie, that's like the fifth turtle. That didn't happen. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll have Andrew Garfield show up as like a, as, as like a waiter. Yeah. That, they'll say, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man, that took place in the same universe as the Ang Lee Hall. <laughs> well, that's, with, that's well, the, with as bad that's as the CG, fail universe. With, with as bad as the CG was, yes. Because, because the lizard looked like an unfinished effect. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you about another scene of fail. This is actually based off of the fucking Ezekiel run of the comic, the spider totem bullshit. Did I ever describe the spider totem bullshit to you, Neil? No. Okay. I think I might have, but you might have forgotten because you yeah. because you uh, saved your brain that way. There was a period in the comics where Spider-Man, where an old man named Ezekiel shows up to Spider-Man, so, who also has spider powers, but he didn't gain, gain spider powers from radioactive spider. No, he got it from the spider totem. So the huh. spider being radioactive had nothing to do with Peter Parker getting powers. It's because the spider passed on the, the powers of the spider totem to Peter Parker to be the avatar of this of the spider totem. Wow. And Ezekiel shows up and, and trains Peter to understand the spider totem better. And after this arc, Peter was doing different things like he uh, one time, you know, there was a collapsing building and Peter Parker put out a web and was basically feeling the vibrations to figure out where people were in the building like a spider. So there's a scene in the sewer where a pre in the movie where Peter Parker puts out a web like that and is feeling the vibrations to find the lizard. I see. <laughs> can you tell me what's wrong with that scene neil i i'm at a complete loss i'm just kind of i'm just kind of blown away that they would even do that well also the whole sequence there there's a there's a good 10 15 minutes of this movie dedicated to showing how peter piecemeal together the the web shooters that's that's what i was thinking that the web the webbing isn't even his it's this chemical that he that he created actually actually what it is is he stole a bunch of cartridges from oscorp from oh. the, the spider room but the thing is the 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 webbing has nothing to do with him uh genetically it's this it's this exterior thing therefore yes. how is he how is he even able to use it as that sort of uh device it's like ah, well, well well actually also the 15 minutes 10 15 minutes of this movie is him piecing together the spider-man costume just like the scene the scenes in batman begins or batman's building his batman costume off of several different things mm -hmm. 
you know, you have a scene where he's uh, where where Peter Parker is, you know, he 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 gets a certain kind of eye, you know, eyeglass lenses, takes out the lenses and puts them on on a on a on a luchador style mask to get the to get the the Spider Man eyes. He he orders he orders a spandex, uh, uh, what what is it, the bobsledding suit and modifies that. Mm. Like like I said, it's it's just a lot of stupid. Yeah. Because they're trying to make him out to be like Batman Begins, but with Spider Man, and it's the Sam Raimi the Sam Raimi movie never explained it. I think that was for the best. Yes. It was just like, oh, there's a couple of years later. Oh, he's got a better suit now. Yes. We're not going to tell you how he got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this suit looks like ass, anyways. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what What's the one thing that they that they really screwed the pooch on out of all of these things um i would say the the whole origin thing just completely missing the point of who peter parker is and just just by retelling the origin again they could have saved themselves a lot of headaches by just having him start out the movie as spider-man yeah they could have and i wish more movie franchises would do that it's like we know the origin to most of these superheroes. We don't need the origin story retold again and again. Right. It's like we we already know that Spider-Man's or that Batman's uh, parents got got aced. You know we don't need to go through that every single time. We don't need to go back to Krypton when we tell a new Superman movie. One third of that movie is going to be on Krypton now. God damn it! I mean the. The first Superman. Russell Crowe as Jor-El as a, as as an action hero. God damn it! See the first Superman movie, <laughs> it wasted a lot of time in the first half of the movie just doing the origin, but there was barely any time on Krypton, and that was for the best. <laughs> I just I just love you picturing Russell Crowe as Jor-El, like fighting Zod or something <laughs> with a, with a gun in each hand. Mm. That's what you're picturing now, isn't it? Yeah. Makes you wish that Marlon Brando was still around, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, he, it really is. It really is a waste, and it, it just it just is such a shame that that modern Hollywood doesn't understand the importance of Uncle Ben as as the as the paternal figure to Peter Parker. That that this this is a man that, you know he he he's not a genius but he he's a factory worker but he, you know he he he's kind but fair mm-hmm. loving influential and and Peter loses that in his life and he ultimately re- realizes it's his fault in in, in his own in his own uh, in in his own uh, short sightedness it's and like I said okay if you get rid of the wrestling thing. Fine. Replace it with something else. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be wrestling. Just something else. Not a fucking convenience store with 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 chocolate milk and two fucking pennies. <laughs> really? Wow. A bottle of YooHoo. Uncle Ben died because of a bottle of fucking YooHoo. <sighs> have you ever had YooHoo? It's not very good. It really isn't. It's no. I'd, I'd rather just make it my make chocolate milk myself. Yeah, even Nestle's quick is better than YooHoo. As long as the quick rabbit doesn't show up to fight Superman. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But yeah, 
that's actually a better piece of work than this. Wow. So. Some of the fight scenes were okay. The, the Stan Lee cameo was horrible. I mean, it has to be... I always think a Stan Lee cameo has to be a blink and forget it, blink and miss it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the one in Avengers, that's a blink and miss it one. Mm-hmm. It works great. The, the one the one in the in the, in both Iron Mans were blink and miss it's, and those were funny too, because... because it, if it's just a second and it's a blink and miss it kind of fun little thing, it's fine. No, Stanley was on the screen for a good thirty seconds, and the scene is he is a music teacher at Peter's High School. He doesn't say anything, but he is listening to a record while looking away while in the back of the classroom. He ha- he has those big old earmuff uh, headphones on, mm-hmm. so he can't hear anything. And you're hearing the music he's listening to, and in the background is is the lizard and Spider Man fighting each other, throwing desks and stuff, and Stanley's just sitting there oblivious. <laughs> it's a sight gag, and it I know you chuckle a little bit, but it's actually not funny. Oh jeez. Hang on, I got another phone call. My sister again. Okay. Okay. Yes. Like I said, it's a it's a side gag, and I know you chuckle a little, but no, it's actually not funny. Once you watch it, it it's it, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of stupid. Okay. And and, and really, it's a, there there's no you know they hint at Daily Bugle, but they never really did anything with it. They they because obviously they can't cast J.K. Simmons again, because then he would be like the M of of, of the Spider Man series. Yeah. I wonder how people got that reference. <laughs> I, I imagine you did, Neil. Yeah. There's only one M now. Yeah. M was always a woman. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And there hasn't been a good James Bond since Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ama- yeah, Amazing Spider-Man is not amazing. You know what's a lot cheaper, guys? Go into your DVD collection, pick out Spider-Man 2, because I know you already have it. Watch it again. That's what you do. And I tell you what, the effects look better on Spider-Man 2. So all that stuff that executive producer was trash-talking about Raimi, about not using practical effects, yeah, yeah, total bullshit. You know, no, unlike Raimi, we're doing this. Blah, 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 blah. Trash-talking Raimi when you put out that lizard CG? Really? I think fucking Godzilla looked more real than the lizard. Wow. Yeah, this was a bad movie, Neil. And it'll it'll be one of these movies that people don't realize how bad it is until like 10 years have gone by. And then they'll look back and be like, you know, that wasn't really that good. Well, what's another one of those movies? Uh, I imagine Transformers is going to be like that. Um, I, I think everyone knew Transformers was just fluff. Yeah, I know, but they went and saw it anyway. Is that a hint of disapproval I hear in your voice, Neil? Disapproval of the Transformers movies? Yes. <laughs> well, 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 Amazing Spider-Man is that is, is that bad to me. It, it really is. It, it doesn't get the character. It, it doesn't understand the character. And it even made watching Martin Sheen getting shot unenjoyable there's this weird subplot that never got fleshed out as well that i have to tell you about mm-hmm. okay so flash thompson is always that high school bully that peter parker d- 
dealt with, right? Yeah. Well, well, they, in here they do it a little bit different, where, where you know, okay, Flash Thompson beats Peter up, then Peter gets firepowers, then Peter humiliates Flash, right? Yeah. Okay. There, there are two additional scenes that that Flash is in in this movie that kind of makes him a big question mark. It's sort of like he wandered off into another film, got a shit ton of character development, and then showed up at the end again. You know, right after Uncle Ben died, Flash comes to Peter and actually acts like a human being and says he's sorry about his uncle. And then at the end of the film, Flash and, and Peter are like buddy-buddy. You know, they're, they're doing bro fists and stuff, and, and Flash is wearing a Spidey shirt saying, yeah, he's cool, man. And it's sort of like, you know what? If Flash is supposed to be a part of the Peter Parker high school entourage, either do something with that or don't. You know, it, you, you can't just sort of like hint yet huge leaps in character development for the bully character and not do anything with it. You know what I mean? Either make him unimportant or make him important. I don't know. Because I, I didn't see the movie. I, I'm just kind of... Uh, Going off of what I say. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't know where this film franchise is going to be, but I, I really think that... They really should, like, two summers later, just have, have Toby and Sam Raimi back and be like, and, and just and, and just cast Andrew Garfield being like a a waiter at a restaurant. Yeah. You could you could be like waiter, there's a fly in my soup, and then and then along comes uh, the Duke and, kid, yeah, Andrew yeah. Garfield, and he's like, oh, sorry about that. That's that's his role. Yes. That, that's the, exactly what his role should be. Like I said, it's just it, it's just bad. I think that, that, that's 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 all I gotta say about that. Movie Week in Review is the Geekcast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to MWire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Grab your helmets because it's time to assemble Mask. The GeekCast Radio Network has launched Mask Mayhem with your hosts Optimus Solo and TFG and Mike. This podcast covering all 75 episodes of Mask will feature in-depth analysis of every episode, talk on the toys, and more. Mask Mayhem will run 30 podcast episodes. You can find us in iTunes and on www.GeekCastRadio.com. Get your spectrums ready as podcasting is the ultimate weapon. The all-time biggest dumbass award has to go to Vince McMahon for the Chris Benoit Memorial Show. You, you, was, every minute goes by and you're going like, they're going to have so much egg on their face, weren't you? Yeah, well, I was watching, again, I, today I was watching some like some of those crime shows that are on True TV, you know, like like uh, the Cold Case Files and all those. Yeah. Yeah, and it's because I watched those that I understood the lingo of what the cop was saying on 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 the news he was like uh there was no break-in and no gun was used i'm like he's basically saying it's a double murder suicide chris benoit killed his family (laughs) i knew immediately and (laughs) and i'm just trying to figure out why the hell did vince mcmahon not at least why did it not even cross his mind i don't understand this it's like you mean to tell me that there wasn't even like a lawyer there to say, "Hey, Vince, you know, the lawyer." Not even that he was consulting a lawyer. Like maybe his lawyer might have called him up on the phone and said, "Hey, uh, I saw the news. Um, what he's saying is that Chris Benoit killed his family. Don't do this special." <laughs> it wasn't like oh, like the special was two thirds or three fourths over when another station like gave the details. 
yeah, it was almost over and and <laughs> it was broke. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Vince, now the egg's on your face. Yeah, and it was just about when they were showing the, the match where he won the title at WrestleMania. I'm like, wow. It's what like time? him and his family hugging in the ring. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then the very next night, they, they had a show on sci-fi and and there's Vince McMahon in damage control mode. <laughs> like, you're a moron. <laughs> I, I still, I don't know how, see there, even if he didn't understand what the cop was saying, there's so many levels where someone could have told him, you know, like I said, you know, he's got to have like lawyers that, you know, well, that what I, what I love. What I love is he stopped the whole storyline and scrapped it about how he was in a car that exploded the yeah. week before. Yeah. And he actually started started it by breaking the hopes and dreams of many small children by saying, "Well, last week we did a, we did a show with a storyline about my character getting in a car that exploded." And well, that was actually the week before that because even before the Chris Benoit thing happened, another wrestler died the exact same week that storyline broke, and they kept going. And I was like. Wow, they should really stop this now because this is like, you know, you don't you don't do a a death of Vince McMahon story on the same week that another wrestler dies of like a drug overdose. Wow. And then and then the Chris Benoit thing hit, and I'm just, oh my god, they better they better end this. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's like it's bad enough that you know wrestling is well known for like all the athletes or like a, a substantially large number of athletes dying prematurely. And they do a death storyline. Wow. Of course, that's not as bad as the the night that Owen Hart fell from like the rafters, and on the same night, the Undertaker won the world title. Wow. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Weren't Undertaker and Kane like a uh, tag team for a while? Yeah, they were. I remember one kid was describing me the Undertaker Kane storyline where they're brothers. And the Undertaker, when they were kids, like poured acid on Kane's face, and that's why he wears the uh, mask. Yeah. And that's the storyline. And he totally believed it. Oh my God! Is he a moron? That was that was, that was freshman year of high school. The thing is, Kane has the most convoluted storyline of any wrestler ever. <laughs> like abused as a child and. Abused as a child, you know, scarred, but yet when he took the mask off, he was fine. And then there was the whole thing about him in high school, how he was driving a car and it veered off the road and he killed his girlfriend. And it's just like, how does this all make sense? And Oh, where, funny, oh, where can my baby be? It's like all these things that don't make sense. It's like, okay, he was scarred and mentally disturbed, and yet he had like this teen angst side of his story. It's like, <laughs> where did this happen? Well, it's like and a then, soap opera. They just invent shit. And then the funny thing is, WWE released a book that explained it all <laughs> so it was it was like jeff john's writing a comic yeah it was like we're, we're where, where to... it was actually the goddamn yellow fear monster that oh wait yeah it was like them attempting to retcon everything and and tie up all the loose ends <laughs> so so was so was kane possessed by a goddamn yellow fear monster that made him do evil things no Here's another thing I always laugh about when I watch True TV is that you get these guys that are just so fucked up the ass. You know, they, they're so busted. You know, the prosecutor will be like, yeah, we found the gun. It has the guy's fingerprints on it. It, you know, it had a silencer on it. The silencer was 
was attached with tape. We found the other end of the tape in the guy's garage, and yes, it does match. The edges match up together. The defendant is so screwed, he's fucked up the ass. He's going to jail. We have so much evidence against him. I rest my case. And then he goes, sits down. And then the defense attorney stands up and he goes, Your Honor, my client's being railroaded. <laughs> it's just like, how... I know, I know that defense attorneys are paid to do that, but it's just sometimes I can't believe they believe their own bullshit. <laughs> it's just like how well, well, Neil, it's an adversar's adversarial system for a reason. I know. I mean, they got to do it, but it, it, I just feel sorry for them sometimes. Just the stupid things they have to say to. Well, why they get paid? That's true. I mean, you know what? I think that they said stupid things and getting paid for is much better for society than I remember it, so you don't have to get paid for it. That's true. Why do you think they never made a Marx Brothers cartoon? The the, the, the animators decided that that sense of humor is too too up there for a Saturday morning cartoon? I don't know. Maybe it was just an issue with... uh with Harpo because you know Harpo is a lot of physical comedy it's hard to do that with 70s animation well what about Zeppo Zeppo's the one that people underestimate yeah but you know they would never put Zeppo in the cartoon why Zeppo's Zeppo's a straight man you have to think about how cartoon producers in the 70s think they would never acknowledge that he was that he was of any significance they would go for Groucho Chico and, and Harpo and that's it because that's how that's how they think. But if you take Zeppo out of duck soup, duck soup is ruined. <laughs> you know I'm right. I know that, and you know that. But you think <laughs> Joe Barbera, circa 1976, would know that? <laughs> that's true. That's true. But Ze- Zeppo is like the crust of a pizza. Mm-hmm. You don't think about it, but once it's gone... You just got a pile of, of marinara and, and cheese on the plate with nothing underneath it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how that's how I, I that's how I categorize Zeppo. Mm-hmm. See, the Stooges are a lot more physical overall. There was there there was none of that. There was none of that quick witting stuff. Quick quick witting stuff like uh, Groucho did. So so it's it's uh, I don't know. Mo had sometimes had his moments, but not really like that. They had they had uh, they had subtle moments that like I said Mo had his moments but yeah. but but you know where he was almost at Groucho's level because Mo was the most uh, intellectual of the students. I can't believe I've just said that, well, but it's true. That's kind of why I like. <laughs> if you say Ship, I'm gonna I'm gonna drive over to Chicago and beat you up. I like Shem. Ship is nothing compared to Curly. Curly oh. invented their style of physical comedy. Curly did the physical stuff because he couldn't remember his fucking lines. <laughs> I have audio of Mo Howard saying that himself. Curly carried the act for years. Shemp just the Shemp ones are odd to me. Shemp is underrated. <laughs> they had to they had to bring Curly back for a Shemp one as a as a guest role. Oh, he was barely in that. What about the fake shemps? Those are terrible. Okay, at least you're not going to defend the fake shemps. Those are just, those are just but, recycled shorts anyway. But come on, Curly. Some of the best physical comedy of Stooges was invented by Curly. You know, the running on the ground. 
How could you not love that? I'm not saying it's not great. I'm just saying I like Shemp a little better. I can't even remember something that's patentedly Shemp. Shemp is like a stupid version of Mo, basically. But Mo's already plenty stupid. That's the problem. <laughs> Mo takes charge, but he doesn't know what's going on. Shemp was really not as physical as Curly. I know, but that's why. That's kind of why I like him. He was, he was like, he was like an extra, an extra Larry. <laughs> Larry's underrated too. Larry, Larry's great as just this dumb idiot that they drag around. Yeah, I think John Chris Lucy described him as as the sad Jew of the of the three. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> it is, but it's kind of true. <laughs> He is kind of like this sad-sounding Jewish man. Larry Fine. Mm-hmm. And that's how he, that's how he picked the voice of of uh, Stimpy because uh, what's his name could do a, a Larry Fine voice, and he'd never heard anyone who before who could impersonate Larry Fine. Usually, Larry's voice really isn't imitatable to me. You know, it, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to imitate him. See, 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 uh, Mo, you know. People hey, what's the matter with you? Or something like that. I, I people usually impersonate Curly, and on a rare occasion, you'll get somebody who can impersonate Mo. Hardly anyone can do Larry. You know, my favorite Three Stooges short is what? It's the one that takes place in like in like Arabia, mm-hmm. and they 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 first they like sneak in by dressing up as Santa Clauses, mm-hmm. and then they turn into a Santa. They dress up as a Santa Claus monster standing on each other's shoulders to make themselves look really tall mm-hmm. to scare the bad guy. <laughs> I don't remember why I li- loved that one so much, but it was hilarious to me. You know the one I'm talking about? No. Really? Really. Oh. See, it was an odd one, but my, but my t- local TV station played it a lot when I was a kid, so I thought it was hilarious. What was your favorite Three Stooges short? Hmm. It's been a long time. We should do an episode of Three Stooges. We could. Because they almost are like a cartoon. I remember a time when they actually did air them with the cartoons. Oh, God. Like the Flintstones would end and they'd be like, stay tuned for the Three Stooges. Remember when the... Remember I Love Lucy originally had uh, cartoon credits? Yeah. That they never showed in reruns? Yeah. Until uh, TV Land uh, reinstated them, finally. Yeah, yeah they just showed just the, the picture of the heart with the writing for the longest time. It's like, oh, I Love Lucy had, had cartoon openings. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on Lucy, anyways? Um, It was funny. You know what the jump the shark moment for Lucy was for me? They had a baby. Actually, when they drove to California. Uh, because that whole California arc was terrible. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they, 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 the worst one was when they actually had Harpo. <laughs> and they actually redid the the mirror gag from Duck Soup. Oh, God. Remember that? I do remember that. You know, the, the, that was, yeah, that whole California arc was, look at all these Hollywood stars we can have on. They had John Wayne in an episode. Oh. You remember that? Yes. Yeah, to me, the, the, the Hollywood arc was, was the jump the shark for I Love Lucy. Or the drive to Hollywood for Lucy. You know what's really weird is, like, my local station wouldn't play the episodes after the drive to Hollywood for years, so I didn't know that there was this whole, they moved to the sur- suburbs bullshit. Until years later, and then I watched it, and I realized why I didn't enjoy it because it sucks. 
<laughs> Did you ever see those episodes? No. Okay, Lucy and Ricky move to the suburbs, and 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 then Ethel and Fred move to the suburbs with them. And and it's all these adventures about you know suburban living and it's 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 terrible actually. You really don't remember that. No. Okay, let's see here. I remember that distinctly because it's bad. Uh, what else I remember that's okay. Yeah, I love Lucy. Uh, Gilligan's Island. Where does where did Gilligan's Island jump the jump the shark for you? Oh, I don't know if I can name an exact point. Did they have an episode with, like, the Beatles showing up? I don't or, remember that. Or, the, or a faux Beatles or something like no, that? No, I don't remember that. I remember they had an episode with a mad scientist. Yeah, I think it's, like, when it became, like, a regular occurrence that somebody would land on the island, and they would always, like, find the way off the island and never, never send someone else out to rescue the castaways. Because it happened a lot. Yeah, I was like, wow, you, you, wow. There are a lot of bastards that don't <laughs> want to help these people. Yeah, that's terrible. That That is true, though. I, what, what's another show like that that was just... We, we mentioned the Marx Brothers, Three Stooges. What, what were other comedians like that do you think do you think voice killed charlie chaplin um the talkie possibly i've never seen the talking charlie chaplin you've never seen the great dictator no it was, it was chaplin making fun of hitler oh okay because he's like how dare you sir only i am allowed to have the thin mustache Yeah, you don't see any people with that mustache out anymore, do you? No. I wonder why. Well, there's Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, that's a little different. Not really. <laughs> but he believes he can fly. Oh, should we talk about uh, Space Jam as an episode? Oh, God, Space Jam. I suppose... Yeah. You know, I thought that Looney Tunes back in action was a much better movie than that. <laughs> Space Jam is just like them doing basketball and having bad R&B actors doing the, or bad R&B stars doing the soundtrack. I believe I can fly. I fucking hate that song. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. That song sucks so much. Space Jam, huh? Yeah. Didn't Looney Tunes back in action? What? So, Looney Tunes back in action. Didn't that end with, with uh, Daffy saving bugs? Yeah, it did. Did it feel fake? Um, I'd have to watch it again. Because I know people that say, oh, that felt so fake. Well... It did kind of give Daffy the heroic moment, and that's you don't do that with Daffy. Whenever whenever Bugs is around, Daffy is the butt monkey. Yeah, we we mentioned that. It's like the last great one was the hotel one. But I kind of like asshole Daffy. Well, I, I like that he he gets his lumps for no conceivable reason. 
Well, what I loved, what, I loved how you put it, is like this is the last legitimate time that Daffy is praising Bugs. Yeah. <laughs> Before his big heel turn. Before he hit Bugs in the back of the head with the chair. It was, it was, it was still pre-crisis Daffy. <laughs> Pre-crisis, Daffy. <sighs> and then he started hanging the hunting signs to fool Elmer. Yeah, you know, you know, it's thanks to Chuck Jones that I know what Hassan Pfeffer is. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I think cartoons are primarily responsible for extend for extending my vocabulary. Let's you know, what I'm really afraid of is the, the day that comes along that the bottom falls out underneath uh, CGI animation, and then CGI starts getting cheap the way that, that traditional animation got cheap in the 60s. Well, CGI already got cheap. And it it all, like, reverts back to looking like a reboot again. They'll be like, no! Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Most of it does still look like reboot. Yeah. And what annoys me is that because just be, just because of the nature of the production, you know, you have to use a lot of the same models over and over again. And if you pay close attention, you start seeing characters that look a lot alike. Like they they actually built a uh, a character model in Pixar that basically all you have to do is like manipulate it a little bit, and you have a different face. If you watch uh, The Incredibles, every every character in that movie, with the exception of the main cast, is all the same model. Yeah. Wow. So, let's see here. So, you're a Shemp fan. Yeah. Who's the best of the Marks brothers? Um, It's been a while since I've seen him. I'm, I'm going to go with Groucho for now. But I could side with Chico. Or, or possibly he, Zeppo. I don't... Zeppo. Zeppo is the best straight man ever. I don't like the straight physical comedy characters. That's why I'm not a big fan of Curly. Before Curly, there was nothing. Well, before Curly, there was Shemp. Yeah, I just had an idea to do do like a quickie episode about uh, first run syndication and like what pushed a lot of these shows to 65 episodes and why some took longer than others and stuff like that. For Batman, they they went for 65 episodes right away. Transformers, they it took them two seasons, but there was a reason for that. And then there was there was also like Saturday morning cartoons, which by and large were not made for syndication, except for like rare exceptions like the Smurfs and Alvin and the Chipmunks. And then of course there's the Jetsons, where it was like woefully short until someone decided in the 80s to make more episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually really fascinating. It's uh, the old syndication market was was basically a network or a studio or a production company tries their hardest to get to 65 episodes because then they can syndicate it anywhere and and they just recoup their money that way over a course of years just slowly well but, even before that uh they i don't i don't get the impression that a lot of older shows were really going for a syndication deal like they just hit that hit that episode mark on their own like the Munsters or the Adams Family, uh, Gilligan's Island, I Dream of Genie, Green Acres—all these shows really went like went to that number and then exceeded it dramatically. 
And it just so happened that later there was a market for this where they could package all these episodes together and put them on, like, UHF channels. And uh, cartoons followed suit. And and uh, I don't know if, if the Smurfs, if they were going for that, but, my God, they, they hit that number really fast for, for a Saturday morning cartoon. It's like I was looking at the episode count this morning, and uh, they were doing, like, two episodes a day, almost from the start. On Saturdays, which is insane. So yeah. it was like it was like one half hour episode, and then it would end, and then another one would begin from season one. Wow. Yeah. So by the end of season two, they had sixty two episodes, which is not the the quote unquote magic number, but you know it was enough to get it into syndication really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Sixty five is the sweet spot. It's a uh, yeah. and uh, most. Most shows in the 80s, at least that I've seen, like um, Ninja Turtles is a good example, uh, G.I. Joe, e- even Transformers and even Gargoyles did this. The first season is under 20 episodes usually, most of the time. Well, it depends on whether or not it's in it's in uh, a weekday syndication or a weekend syndication. Like Transformers, I think, was only shown on weekends for the first season. And then when they went to season two... They added just enough episodes to get it up to 65. They repackaged season one with season two and called that, you know, the 65 episode season. And then season three, they just took episodes from season two and added it to the remainder of season three. Because season three was much shorter. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the fascinating thing is Batman the Animated Series reached 65 in its first season. Yeah. Which I Everything. think. Which I think is because. It was on in the afternoon anyway, so they kind of had to do that in the first season. Yeah, everything afterwards was pretty much gratis. Yeah. And uh, one of the weird ones is Robotech, because Robotech, (laughs) of course, had three different shows which it all sits together. But then for the second season, uh, Carl Masick, for whatever reason, thought that he needed to have 65 new episodes. And based on what I just described from the Transformers, I don't see why he thought he had to do that. What he could have done was made a much shorter season and then repackaged it with Macross so that, you know, you have the Macross saga and then it goes right into Robotech 2, which he could have had at like 25 episodes instead of the insane 65 episodes that he was never going to get. Yes. Yes. And uh, it, like I said, it's, it's to, to, you have to remember to most people it's an investment. Yeah. To 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 make a show, and that's why that's you know that's why when with Disney and Gargoyles season one was definitely we're testing the water, seeing if this can actually sell, and then season two was let's get to sixty five, mm-hmm. you know. And the funny the funny thing to me is in the is with uh, Batman the animated series they just went let's go to sixty five. The the pilot animation that Bruce Tim provided must have been so spectacular to to the people of Warner Brothers, the higher-ups, that they said, go for it. Yeah, because yeah, they could have just stuck that on, like, Fox Saturday morning. And yeah, they could have. Okay, they give, us, give us 13 episodes. Instead, they went for 65. But then again, they also did that with Tiny Toons and yeah, well, that was that was a that was a stranger of Warner Animation where they were pretty much giving shows blank checks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is a, you know, it was in the last ten or so years that American animation has really adopted a more Japanese esque uh, model, I should say, like how we do uh, with uh, with thirteen episode seasons. 
Yeah. The Japanese do 26, I believe. Yeah. We do 13 episode seasons. Well, that's and... because they were pretty much showing cartoons in prime time in Japan, and it's only recently that we've started that we've started to do that. And even then, it's only because of Cartoon Network. Uh, cartoons in prime time on uh, on network television is still pretty rare. Like you have The Simpsons and Family Guy. That's that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, yeah, most shows don't get blank checks anymore like that. It's uh, Most of them do 13-episode seasons, which means, you know, sadly, a lot of the cartoons aren't going to reach the magic syndication number anymore. I don't know if other networks buy cartoons at syndication numbers like I, they used to. I don't think they do. I, I, I think it's it's something that might be a good idea because even, even shows like, uh, like, like the Hair Bear Bunch, it's... It's it's kind of hard to put that on like a weekly basis just because there are so few episodes. That that's boomerang filler, anyways. Yeah, but uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of old Saturday morning cartoons throughout the '80s and '90s, uh, you could never see these because their episode count was so low. The only way you could get that on on television was to like package them all together somehow. Well, actually, actually, Hanna Barbera did that for a while. They packaged the uh, SWAT cats with Pirates of Dark Water, and like they rotated which one they showed every Sunday, at least in my area. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of a neat idea. Uh, but yeah, the old Tom and Jerry's, uh, they would they would just package all this shit together. They would take the classic Tom and Jerry's, uh, the the Gene Deitch ones, the the. Uh, the the Chuck Jones studio ones, and then they would they would they would cobble those all together with the filmation ones and the and the seventies Hanna Barbera ones, which were which were awful. But it was it was also that they, they could get this like massive syndication deal out of it, where you have all this all this animation that you have like in a half hours worth of time, that you could just show for God knows how many episodes. Yeah, it was it was a it was a hot mess. It was really a uh, it was really a hot mess. Just where they mix and match shows like that. It's uh, actually ABC did something similar, but it was a lot better, a lot more consistent because they at least used the classic Warner Brothers eras when they did the the Bugs and Tweety show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was practically eighty percent Chuck Jones shorts they showed on that. Yeah, and. They would occasionally show like a more recent one. Like there was a couple Chuck Jones shorts that were made in the very early '80s. Like only yeah, like two. the sequel to Duck Dodgers. Yeah, and there was also a Bugs Bunny one that I don't remember the name of. It's the one where he where he like takes a nap and has a dream that he and Elmer are kids, which is an uh, okay cartoon. Yeah, but the, the ones that were outright sequels to earlier ones were not Chuck's best work. I have to say, yeah. sadly. Another Froggy Night. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I, doesn't hold yeah, a candle. Yeah, I finally saw that a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh, oh, god, not a candle to it. Yeah, not not a good one to go out on, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, also the Duck Dodgers sequel was nowhere near as hilarious as the original Duck Dodgers. And how could it be? I mean, you have an aging uh, Mel Blanc reprising yeah. his role as Daffy, and he can't scream like he used to. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what it was, but I don't think, I think they forgot to uh, hitch him up at least as high as he did in the old cartoons. Yeah. Because like all those, all those '80s uh, compilation movies that they did, 
they never pitched Daffy up, and he just sounded he just sounded weird. Or, yeah. or they'd they'd go from like new animation to classic animation, and suddenly Daffy's voice would be different. Yeah, the compilation stuff is always a weird spot for me. Yeah, I I really don't like those movies. And that was another one where, as a kid, I'm I'm like, don't you see that? And and like all my friends would be like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. What do you mean this is an old cartoon stuck in with a new cartoon? <laughs> I could tell instantly. I could tell instantly. But that's like, that's one of the weird things about the Tom and Jerry. You know, when they did the Tom and Jerry uh, things, I, I could instantly tell a Gene Deitch from a from an MGM or. Well, that was actually extremely easy to tell, if you ask me. But uh, yeah, and and the the Chuck Jones ones, or, I know that Chuck Jones himself didn't personally work on the majority of them, but those felt really strange. I remember one. Chuck Jones is actually his studio, at least, is actually guilty of this. Tom and Jerry go into a movie theater in a, in a, in one of these Jones Tom and Jerry right. shorts, and they're watching the M- MGM ones. Yeah, the the old uh, the classic Hanna Barbera ones. Because they were they were all MGM up to a point. I know, but I, I but it it was just really jarring. I, I, it, it, the thing is, Jones himself knows better. Yeah. At least I hope he knows better. Yeah, I think he does. I, I think that might have been one of the very last ones, and they were just kind of like rushing to get to the end. Because there get... was another one with uh, with Tom's uh, mousetrap that they did that. Yeah. Where Tom is building a mousetrap, and he's he's watching old footage of himself trying to trap Jerry and it's and it's an old it's an old Hanna Barbera one. Yeah, it's just it's just a sad state of of how the syndication system both helps and hurts cartoons. Mm-hmm. Some cases helps. Most most of the time it's like I said, it the, the way the way that they do this and for people that don't know is is you know, they have to like sort of section off who who's working on it in teams. You know, you have one. You have the writers' team. You know, sectioned off. You have the animators sectioned off, and not all the time, but some of the times you can actually tell. Okay, this was one team. This is another team. It's it's this case of wow, they sectioned they sectioned each other off. Well, you and, can really tell that in in shows like The Smurfs, where the animation team and the writing team were two separate teams. Yeah, because. Because it it doesn't even take advantage of the medium. It's just like heads talking. Yeah, and and the Jetsons. Yeah, the Jetsons. And we're talking about like season two of the Jetsons, not the originals. Yeah, the Jetsons has a 20-year gap between season one and season two. Yeah, and that was done for for, for, uh, second-run syndication. Well, first-slash-second-run syndication because uh, up to a point, the Jetsons was popular enough that you could get it on – you can get it into syndication, but it was very hard to sell because you had, I don't know, something like 13 or so episodes. Yeah. Until Hanna Barbera just finally decided to make more. Yeah, and uh, there was there was a cut in the production costs. There was the, the voice actors were older and. Yeah. Amazingly, they yeah, pretty much all of them were still alive. I don't think any of them had died up to that point. Amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, but overall, it's it's still just a fascinating way that the system just warped and molded how the cartoons are made, and now they're doing the more Japanese style of of oh, let's air them thirteen episodes a season. But the funny thing is, is when when you're airing on Cartoon Network, Cartoon Network loves to just sit on episodes. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, Cartoon Network is infamous for this. Episodes are done. They're ready. They just sit on them. And yeah, I know you have 13 episodes, so they sort of stretch it out. They have like a, a mid-season break now. Yeah. Which actually lots of lots of television does. I mean, I remember Lost had like a mid-season break. I don't watch Lost, but I remember it did because I, everyone at work complained about it. Yeah, the USA Network does that a lot. Yeah. They have they have shows that will have in a, sing, a single season they'll just take a break right in the middle and it's like for we'll 3 to 4 months, yeah. Yeah, we'll be back in 4 months. Yeah. Yeah, and they start airing again in December. Yeah. In in Cartoon Network's doing the same thing. Cartoon Network sits on Thundercats. Cartoon Network sits on 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 Young Justice. Cartoon Network sits on everything and is like, oh, we're just gonna sit on these episodes and accumulate, and then we're gonna show some more. And the funny thing is, like the Canadian networks and the and the uh, and the UK networks just show them. So people, so that she encourages piracy. Well, it's hilarious. Yeah. Cartoon Network these days is run by idiots. Yeah, we're going to get all the viewership, and it's like, but, you know, on YouTube, they, they already have, oh, I, oh, we'll just follow seasons and this I'll stop it. They'll, they'll yeah. make them wait. Yeah, let's, let's abuse this horrible law just so we can justify our really bad uh, business model. The, the concept of the law is not terrible. But the, 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 the f- fact of the matter is, it's not the f- it's not the f- it it's not justified to ever steal content. But at the same time, that just means that the networks should adapt to the modern media yeah. and actually air stuff online. Well, I have I have problems with the DMCA that that goes beyond that. Namely, that that you can have stuff taken down without so much as like uh, due process. I mean, it doesn't. Basically, you have to prove that you didn't steal something before you can get it reinstated, which is which is kind of bullshit. Well, you're right. That is bullshit. But uh, like I said, the point I have is is honestly, I think that uh, I think that it's never justified to steal. But that that just means that if so many people are stealing, that the the studios and the the networks have to change their model. Not just cling on this model that worked for so many years and, exactly. and just and just try to cram it down our throats again and again and again, you know, by saying we're just going to sue you harder. That that's why that's why Netflix is, and Hulu are making their own shows now mm-hmm. that are unique to just Netflix and Hulu. They're not airing on TV anymore. That's that's why that's why some set top boxes now have skip commercial buttons, mm-hmm. and the and, and the networks hate that now too. And one cable company just basically told the networks, "Look, we have to compete. This is how." Yeah. And and yeah, it's 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 just another symptom of the disease. And the disease is aging executives that want to cling on to the television model versus show a two minute ad and then show the whole show. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Kellner once once said that uh, that uh, people who use DVRs are, are breaking the contract that they have with. Uh, with the television company, with the television uh, networks, whenever they skip over cart, whenever, whenever they st- skip over commercials, and I'm like, uh, no, no, we, we don't, we don't have implicit contracts, uh, my friend, no. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm much, I'm, I'm the sort of person who says that you need to adapt to, uh, to changing technology. You can't just, uh, you know, find whatever law you can to justify bad business models. Yeah. 
and and Hulu works. Yeah, Hulu Netflix works. works. It, it's like I said, people would much rather watch from a trusted site than than download a torrent and possibly get a virus. I mean, the, the, they're waiting for you to provide it. Just provide it, and yeah. and if the cartoons come on that, that might be a much better model than what we, anything we currently have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and basically, all I wanted to do was kind of. Uh, Explain where first run syndication came from. It it was it was a model that was that was uh, birthed out of uh, a pre existing model of just re- rerunning old shows on on UHF channels. It was just like, wow, we can we make big bucks doing these old you know rerunning these old shows. What happens when we have first run syndication? And that's how we got shows like He Man and Transformers and stuff like that. Yes, well, and eventually the second season of the Jetsons, which yeah. Yeah. Well, they got it all on UHF. <laughs> yes. That is a great song, by the way. <laughs> yes, it is. It's one of uh, Al's best music videos ever. I think we have helped explain to our our listeners exactly how what we mean when we say the Magic 65 number and and exactly why you see all these shows that have a season one that's skimpy and season two that has forty plus episodes. Or why it was such a big deal back in the end to even get to that number in the first place. Yeah. And and to kind of go over, because I was I was getting a little nervous about about just using the the term Magic 65 and having all these shows that are, were on Saturday morning that never got to that. Yeah. Maybe kind of go over you know why that never happened with those and that's because you had two different models going at the same time I think. Yeah yeah there was definitely an overlap in in the. Uh... In the uh, late '90s, early aughts, where there was, you know, the '65 model and the '13 a season model. Yeah. Well, the '65 model died somewhere around the mid '90s, I think. Well, the funny thing about the Crap Man is it had the '13 for season that model, but reached '65 anyways. Yeah. And then stopped. Yeah, it stopped right there. But the thing is, I, I think you have to be careful about saying that that a quality show is one that goes beyond '65 because. Uh, Tiny Tunes went beyond 65, and I, I could probably think of a few more that did that as well. It's, sometimes That's shows true. are lucky. Sometimes, lucky. sometimes, sometimes good shows don't make it that far. That's true, but yeah, it's. Uh, I hope we educated our listeners here. Uh, just uh, let us know any comments, and uh, you know, just keep on sending us those noggle laughs. This is your host Ben. Your TV's Mr. Neil. We're saying good night.